power, money, mommy, weed, perks, fannies, lean, fame, and the strongest drug of them all, and the strongest drug of them all, love. Thank you for tuning in to Unapologetically Different Podcast. I'm your co-host, Key. And I'm your co-host, Coach P. How you doing today, Key? I'm doing okay. <laughs> it's a big weekend. 420 just passed. J. Cole just dropped a new album. Coachella so- happened. Yeah. The second weekend in a row, apparently. Yeah, it's lit. It was a definitely a good weekend. And we had some nice weather in New York City. Fluctuated here and there, but it was good though. Compared yeah. to what we've had in the past week or so, exactly. it's better weather. Definitely. So again, guys, what's playing in the background? That's the unapologetically different ringtone. If you guys haven't purchased that yet, definitely go check that out on the iTunes Store for Apple users and for Android users. You can use the Tune Store. We'll actually have that link for you in our show notes. So let's get into it. Let go. So I'm really excited about this episode because we're going to get to talk about, drum roll please. I can't do that with my tongue, but you got it though. Whoa. <laughs> oh. Twirly. Literally shaking my head. This is, this is a family show. <laughs> right. Not um, after this episode. So we're going to be talking about J. Cole's new album, K.O.D. And J. Cole actually sent out a tweet where he gave some definitions for what K.O.D. stands for. One being kill our demons. The other being kids on drugs. And lastly, king overdose. So it was pretty cool how there was some ambiguity and mystery around what the album title actually means. And the artwork for it was pretty dope as well. What do you think about the artwork, Key? I think the artwork basically went hand in hand with the things that he discussed on his album. Mm. And that kind of gravitated me towards it. Because I was like, I need to hear this album. You know it's going to be dope because J. Cole. But it was like when I seen the album cover and when he dropped a tweet about interpreting the album from these kind of three different perspectives. But then he also said there's room for more interpretations as you go through the album, which I thought was really good. So that's what I like about it. Not oftentimes do you see an artist put out an album and tell you their meaning behind it, especially so early on when they put it out. Normally it's like they give it a few, a while for it to kind of marinate among the, the audience or the public for that matter. And then they'll probably talk about it in an interview as to how they went about creating the album. So to kind of get that information head on, I think that was really cool. Yeah, it definitely gives you a real, like a, a perspective to listen to the album to yeah. from. And I just think, yeah, like you said, about how it's really up for interpretation. That's really the cool thing about art. It can be interpreted by everyone differently. Do and you think you would have came to that conclusion about the album? 
Um, I definitely think so, especially because of the intro track. There's a line that you hear throughout the album where they say life can bring much pain and there are many ways to deal with this pain. Choose wisely. And this is a theme that just gets repeated throughout the album. Mm-hmm. So it definitely helps it tie into what the album really talks about, which is really just addictions. And yeah, the, the message was kind of haunting because it is so true. Life definitely has adversity and pain. And a lot of times we may deal with it in not the best ways. So oftentimes people deal with mental illnesses, trauma, pain or suffering in their lives by medicating themselves, isolating themselves, or just really running. Molly Percocet. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing about that, I never really thought about drinking or smoking weed and things like that as a way of escaping and not really dealing with your life but it it really is an opportunity to escape because it really you're not in your right state of mind and it just a lot of times whatever you're dealing with can just disappear instantly and so before you got on this whole coach p tip and dropping gems and life (laughs) coach phenomenon how did you handle your demons um, I have demons. You tell me. Oh, so you perfect. You ain't got nothing in your past. No. No pain. Um, Life is all good for you. No. Flowers, de- roses, and the whole nine. Definitely not. I, I've talked on previous episodes just dealing with depression. Um, And for me personally, I just had to deal with it head on. Just not being someone who felt comfortable talking to women and not having real any real romantic relationships in my life for a certain period. I would literally be at home, Netflix and chilling, and just spending so much time at work, going out for drinks afterwards. And that was me just kind of not having to deal with it. But I really had to put myself out there and actually start connecting and talking which was scary at first, but it actually got me just on the court of life really dealing with myself. When my weight and my health wasn't where I really wanted it to be, it was so easy to just, again, lay on the couch, complain about it, and just make everything wrong. I work too much, and I'm getting older, whatever the case may be. But the only thing to do was, like, got to change my diet. I have to start being active again, going to the gym, and just, again, dealing with that head on. And there are always healthy options to take. Like, meditation was one thing I also applied coming from that dark place because I was just always depressed and just angry. Mm -hmm. And I saw that it was an access to really just having more peace of mind. So, yeah, dealing with it head on. I've always just been a person who will actually talk about whatever I'm dealing with with my friends, family, or just I'm not even strangers. Like I'm really an open book, so yeah. So I always been someone who dealt with things head on. So it's kind of twofold. So you dealt with it. You spoke about drinking and also eating. Your habits changing. Eating is another form of. I think it's a minimal addiction, but like I know if you not minimal, but yeah, like that, if you let me take that back. It's not a minimal addiction. Um, I guess I'm putting relations into this album because he didn't really speak about the intake of food also chiming in. Um, the intake of food being a form of addiction. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that is true. Like Shout if out I'm, to Thai food. If I'm overly I stressed, I may go to something. I'd rather go to Cop and McDonald's real quick than I will go get a salad. Mm. Um, so that does fall in line with, in terms of falling in 
with what addictions are. But I'm glad that you spoke about it in terms of having a healthier way of dealing with things. And I think that's what was really what was being like said throughout this album in terms of finding healthier ways of dealing with the demons head on and not trying to run from them and hide from them because it just creates ongoing cycles. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the songs that's like my favorite is Brackets. And there's so much in this song and I think that's why I like it. So much. <laughs> it's like he got a lot going on but J. Cole really talks about the representation matters in school systems and people of color especially young boys not seeing themselves in their teachers. And I remember we had a brief conversation about the amount of teachers that are in schools and the demographic majority of them are women. So as a young black boy, not being able to see a black male as a teacher and if they are put in those positions as teachers, um, I feel like sometimes they may, they may not get the same respect as a woman teacher because it's like teachers is like equated to the profession of being a nurse. Like if you see a male nurse, it's like, whoa. Like, let's question your entire sexuality because why are you a nurse? But it's like, why not? You know, um, and him talking about young black boys seeing that representation and representation does matter. It is a big thing. And the school system being dominated by white females, alluding to the fact that when students don't see teachers who look like them or relate to them in any way, shape or form, that may cause them to act indifferent. That may cause them not to learn as much and intake the information because it's like you have someone who doesn't look like you and may not even be able to understand you, especially when you're in an urban neighborhood and there's certain dialects and slang you may use and you can't even bring that into the classroom. I think it's really interesting when teachers are able to have those kind of be able to switch up their conversations with the students or language more so to kind of relate to students because you can't, you can't make the assumption that every child is on the same playing field. And I think it's good when you're able to teach them different ways of learning. Because you may learn something one way, but I may learn it a different way. And I think as a teacher, when you make it your responsibility to teach them, teach them in different ways, um, especially if you're incorporating their culture, background, or community, it does make a huge difference. So I'm glad that he really spoke on that. And one of the major facts that he said is, are we ever even going to see another black man as president? <clears throat> Sway, I need answers. Are we? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> because that's, you know, I've been thinking about that as well. Like, Obama's out of office and he was a great president. Are we going to get someone on his level, if not better? We need The Rock. Let's get it. I'll be his campaign manager. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and then he talks about going into the vicious cycle of funding companies producing weapons that circulated around the country and into poverty-stricken communities that suffer from gun violence and tragic loss of life and the effects it has on the families of those victims who still have to pay taxes to fuel the system. Wow. That's a lot. It's like a continuation of being in these schools where you're not properly represented and taxes and funding going into those particular schools and programs. And also the students are not really being taught about their history, especially depending if you're a person of color or a black person. So I thought that was interesting. And gun violence and the impact it has on our communities in relation to gangs. I think that he touched upon a lot of valid points in this song. It, I feel like it was one of those songs, not something you listen to one time. It was like play it back, play it back a couple times to really catch what he's saying. But even not only comprehending the information that's being provided in that song, but actually dissecting it and how it applies to the communities and where we're at now. So I really like that song for what it is. Yeah, it was one of my favorite songs on the album because mm -hmm. he just, just the whole, like everything, just talking about the gun violence, talking about the representation of the schools, 
um, and then how these taxes are going to companies that are producing weapons and weapons just moving illegally through different borders in the mm-hmm. United States, and then how those end up in the hands of people like criminals, gang members, and then perpetuating that violence, and that he just brought it all back like to the mom losing her child and then realizing, oh, shoot, I got to file my taxes. Like, I just thought that was just so dope how he just, he told that whole story, but then just brought it back at the end to really just show how it is a cycle. Um, Bringing it full circle. And I just like how he transitioned. And that's that's one of the things I love about hip-hop. When you have real good rap, where it's kind of able to, no shade to any other rappers out there, but when you're able to kind of tell a story in that aspect and transition and make it flow and make it, and it makes sense to the audience and where they could comprehend what's being told to them and how it's relatable to what's going on. That's one of the things I truly like about J. Cole. He's really good at that. He's a really good storyteller. Yeah. It's pretty cool to hear stories in music, especially nowadays. I love all types of music, but you don't hear that as often. And more, let me let me correct myself. In more mainstream music, you don't hear that as often because there are a lot of rappers and artists who tell stories with their with their music. But J Cole just happens to be one of those artists who is mainstream and happens to have that ability to tell a story with lyricism. So he's just like doing it all. Cold world. Facts. <laughs> um. So. The next song I'm going to be discussing on the album is Friends featuring Kill Edwards. Interesting point about this, J. Cole hasn't had a he hasn't had a guest on his album since 2013. And yep. but this is the first time that he's had someone featured on his album. And the funny thing is Kill Edward is actually just like a alter ego of J. Cole. It's just <laughs> it's literally his voice just warped and distorted. And it's it's pretty funny too because Kill Edward actually has his own iTunes page now where you could go listen to his music. So he's still keeping up with the the trend of solo, no features, still going platinum, which is pretty dope. And rare. I respect that. Yeah, that is really big of him. It's yeah. dope. Um, he's in his own lane. It, he definitely is. Well, and on this track, friend, I really really like this one because. J. Cole goes into just talking about responsibility and ownership. So blame it on a crack. You could blame it on the system. Yeah. <laughs> and so in the song, he talks about all the different things that we can blame for what's happening to people of color and in and around the world in the United States in terms of saying it was Reagan crack, the police, um, prison industrial complex. Right, prison industrial complex. All these different factors. Trump. <laughs> yeah. Yo, he's a big factor, bro. Yeah. He at the top of the list. <laughs> Mandatory minimums. Like, <laughs> just so many things that you can just point out and say, this is why I'm at where I'm at. And But he goes back and really just says, even though all of these things are valid, there has to be a level of just taking ownership and having responsibility and regardless of your circumstances, taking the action to get yourself out of it. And kind of similar to what he was saying before, just dealing with whatever demons or whatever you're dealing with in your life and just have taken ownership of it. And that's something that I really, 
I really love that he put that message out there because it's so easy to play the victim. And that's not, just to be clear, let me, I'm not trying to downplay anyone's situation, but everybody has different circumstances that they have to deal with in their life. And just really being able to take actions outside of your circumstances to get the life that you want is very important. So I love that he, he brought that up. And then he also mentioned on the song how there's rampant drug use and just other addictions that people use to really escape from the drama, pain, suffering that they're dealing with in their life. And he says he has a way that is, isn't as negative on our bodies and our mental health and what he suggested meditation. And when he said that, I was like, oh. <laughs> Black man pushing for meditation? All right, now. That's why, yeah, when he and said that. And a rapper at that? I got hype. Hi. <laughs> he was like, meditate. Don't medicate. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, I love that line. Yeah. And that's, shout out to Big Sean as well. That's why I really like these two artists particularly. Because they talk about these things that just aren't as mainstream in the hip-hop community and in the 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 black community and just black really, men yeah because y'all got issues bruh <laughs> like no but seriously and i'm glad that he spoke on that um but here's the thing about him saying take accountability i think his reasonings are valid and i think we can't be victim in every situation you have to take accountability for where you're at in your situation and in your life but i always i i feel like it's it's kind of a catch-22 it's like you, I see like this. Some of us are put in the positions that we are in because of who we are. What do you mean? I feel like, okay, I had the privilege of going to attend a university, graduated, and that gave me an opportunity to have, you know, the options of having resources and accessibility and it's all that great stuff. But I always question, what about the people who are the janitors? Or who couldn't go past a high school education. It's not that they weren't worthy of it. It was just because of their circumstances and where they're at in their life. That they have to work these jobs to afford to take care of their families. Are they still victims to... Are they victims to the situation? Or are we going to go by the whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Because that doesn't apply to everybody. I get what J. Cole was going at with this song and I think it's great. But I feel like it's a fine line. It's easier to say for some that you shouldn't play victim to situation. You have to be able to rise above your circumstances, which is very true. This applies to everybody, but it's not meant for everybody. Not everybody can do that. Everybody's situation and circumstances are different. And sometimes you're put into certain situations because of who you are, because you did not go past an eighth grade education and you had to work as a janitor of some sort or work at McDonald's or whatever the case may be, and you can't really get on a scale of working a better job and having access to a better career and getting a better salary. I feel like in part of who you are and where you from plays a part in why you are at a certain place in your life. You don't think so? Nah, not at all. Go ahead. And I feel like not everyone's going to agree with me on this, but I genuinely think that the circumstances really... The circumstances are important and they we can't ignore them, but there are so many examples of people who had absolutely nothing and just created fortunes for themselves or people who were born into families that had everything and then 
ended up with nothing. And I think, I think you have to really figure out like, what do I have to do to deal with this, whatever situation I'm in? Like when Will Smith said, um, on one of his videos about responsibility, like it's not your fault that you may have been a victim of child abuse, but it's your responsibility to actually have to deal with that in a way so you can just be a part of society and be happy with your life. No, your happiness is no one else's responsibility. And I'm automatically thinking about just with money and finances, you don't need to make lots of money every year, every paycheck to create wealth for yourself. If people took like a very small amount of money and put that away consistently over the course of time, like starting up when they first started working, that's one way of accumulating wealth over time. And just like little things like that, it's not everybody may understand how this works and understand that, but I think especially in our day and age that we live in, you can literally Google anything that you want and get the answer for it. And at that point, it's your responsibility to take action. But not everybody has access to Google. Not everybody has access to a computer. I see where you're going with that, but then it, I think we even talked about this in a previous episode. We make the assumption that everybody should be able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You make the assumption because some people are not born, oh, you were born poor, but you came out a millionaire. That's great. That doesn't mean it applies to everybody because check it out. Since we want to tie it back to this album, we're going to talk about addiction <laughs> and the whole cycle. I'm going to make this. I'm going to bring it all together. Okay. So you say that now. All right. You're born into um, you're born into poverty. You made yourself out of that. You became extremely successful. Now there's another person who's born into poverty trying to make them take make themselves come out of that and become extremely successful. In turn, for them to do that in their minds the right way or how they're able to tolerate and succumb the BS that they have to go through just to become successful, they turn to drugs. They turn to alcohol because that's their release. It's like, I was born into this situation. I didn't ask to be born poor. And I have to work twice as hard to be considered half as good. I have to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I barely got boots on. How are you going to have somebody pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they can't even afford shoes? And then for them to deal with it, because they can't afford a therapist, they can't afford a life coach, Lucky if you got friends who are listening to you and not making it about them. So you don't have that outlet. Now they turn to drugs where they smoking weed or they doing Molly Percocet, whatever's working out these days, and they drinking, and that's their form of release. But guess what? They became successful. They had their release. They had their outlet, which she talks about in this album. You're running from your demons. You have to face it head on. Mm -hmm. How do you expect someone to face all of that head on logically without turning to these demons and it become a continuous cycle that's what i'm saying there could be one person who's born into poverty and who could become extremely successful may not need to have the outlet of turning to drugs or alcohol to make it to be level-headed that may just be that one person the exception to the rule but what about the other person who was born into it trying to get out of it become extremely successful but on a rise to that they have to turn to these things to have as an outlet i think one you just have to first you have to first define what someone's success is because not everyone wants to be a millionaire. Some people That's just true. want to have a family and just be able to put food on the table. Or lights on. Right. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on what you measure success as. But I think there are plenty of people who, if they measure their success in terms of the amount of money that they make, they are very successful, but they are dealing with a bunch of stuff in their life and they're on drugs, addictions. Like, look how many like celebrities died of drug overdoses but they were 
by other people's standards, very successful, living their best lives, but they still return to these things. So I think I think it really all depends on what that person for them they what they call success for themselves. But I just think at the end of the day, and I get it, some people's circumstances are much harder than others, but here in the United States we we're definitely blessed and have so much opportunity to make a difference and really change our life and go where we want. Even to the point like today, I think most people now have cell phones, whether you are rich or poor, homeless, like people have cell phones and you have access to the internet. Even if you have a phone, you don't even have to have a SIM card. Well, some people got flip phones. I still see those, surprisingly. Like yeah. I had to blink several times. But I get what you're saying about having access. You have, but it's like, it, I feel like when we're in a position of privilege, and we are, you have access to those things. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You went to college. I went to college. Like we've had certain opportunities that people, other people are not afforded. You know what I'm saying? So my thing is like, I get what he's saying, but I feel like it's a thin line because it doesn't apply to everyone. I just don't feel like you can make the. Yeah, we're in the United States 2018. Everybody should have a cell phone. Everyone should have access to the internet. That's not really the case. Like, that's really not the case for every single person. And I feel like when you are when you speak from a place of privilege, I mean, we're not living in no mansion or nothing like that, but we're we, we not poor. We're not struggling. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like it's easier to speak from the place where we're at about how others should react to things. But we're not in that position. J. Cole can speak from his position because he came from nothing and he became something. So I think when you make that transition, you have a different outlook on life. But imagine if he remained nothing. Imagine if he kept working hard and he didn't get nowhere. You have rappers out here probably better than him that ain't even got a deal. Can't even get that far. Are we saying that they didn't pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Are we saying that they're not as talented? Maybe they don't have the proper resources and accessibility and a splash of luck. You know what I'm saying? I just... I feel like I'm very careful in terms of how I word things and how I say about everyone should be afforded because everyone's not afforded the opportunities. Because, like, and we could take it to another level. You really think we would have had a black man in office and a black version of Trump in office? We want to talk about opportunities and all of that and equality. and We would not have had that. How many degrees and A's Obama had to get to make it that far? And they still was questioning him. And his birth certificate. Yeah, but that's but that's what I'm saying. He did that. And you got this man in the... office with barely any... He doesn't even know the Constitution. Like, can we just stop for two seconds? You don't even know the Constitution and you president. I'm just bringing back to your point about everyone's afforded the same... No, we're not afforded the same opportunities that we should be afforded. So that's why I'm like... I don't. I see where J. Cole's going with it. I think he makes a valid point, but I feel like he's speaking from a place of he made it. So it's it's kind of easier to have that argument and make that conversation that you should be able. But what about the people who work just as hard, if not hard, and they still haven't made it? Are we saying that they can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps? How are we expect them to do that if they don't got boots? I'm just saying. No, yeah, you make you definitely make it valid points, and I guess we could just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Cause, yeah. 
No, say what you're about to say. I feel like you're going to say something real good. I'm going to just repeat what I said before. You're right. Not everybody has the same opportunity, but that's the whole point. No one has the same situation. Everyone has to deal with their own circumstances and different things. But it's having to not worrying about what person A's circumstances are, person C's yeah. circumstances. Whatever your circumstances are, you have to find a way to deal with that to get what you want. And again, not everybody wants to be a billionaire or a millionaire. Their levels of success right. is different. Whatever you want for your happiness, you're the one who's responsible and have to do whatever you got to do to make that happen. A lot of times people say, I've tried everything. But then if you ask them to list all the things you tried and how consistently have you been trying this, a lot of times people can try one or two things and give up. This is true. So like, for- And there's some people who try 10 things right. and they may not even still give up. But to end on this note, if you weren't in a position that you are now in your life, mm-hmm. if you didn't make it or where you're at currently in your life you're like say you were just nothing and you kept trying and you didn't get anywhere and you was just struggling and you again nose back and forth and do you think you would still have the same outlook um keep it a hundred i would say yes because there's just so many examples of other people who kept getting no's kept dealing with things and they just kept being resilient and mm-hmm. persevering and just keep pushing. And just to be frank, if you're doing something and you're not getting a result that you want, you have to at some point have to evaluate the actions that you're taking. If the actions that you're taking aren't creating the desired result, you have to take new actions. A lot of times people get stuck on doing one thing one type of way and not getting the results that they want and then feel like they've done everything and now it's over. I give up. I can't yeah, this do this anymore. So... Most people aren't relentless and I'm going to try every single option. I'm going to do this. If this way didn't work, I'm going to go for the next one. And I'm going to keep on doing until it happens. Most people aren't like that. And if you are like that, and it's not, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's possible. And if you really come from that place, you can pretty much get what you want out of life when you approach life with that relentless mentality. No, this is true. Um, one of the other songs that I liked on this album is Photograph, mm. where he, which I think is so true to our generations as millennials as to where we're at, basically liking someone off of social media. Mm-hmm. And he touches on the fact that we are, we're connected to people through a, like a digital connection, more so like friends on Facebook, IG, Twitter, and Snapchat, but we are less connected than ever. Um, Images on social media are not even real representations of who we are. They're actually, they're usually the best glowed up versions of ourselves seen through a filter. This is true because people are really putting out there their best aspects of their lives. And it's like, they acting like they going on trips, they traveling. But when you like, <laughs> when you do further research, it's like, oh, that was a Photoshop. Okay, shout, you shout cropped out, it. Shout out to Bow Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what you, you mean shout out to Tyrone and them yeah <laughs> cause we know how you got them coins shout out to Howard too oh, <laughs> no shade um and I feel like he really speaks to a lot as to how we are when it comes to social media how we're so attached to the things that we see and our perceptions of social media and it is a form of addiction I really do think social media is very addicting and it's so crazy to me because I remember when Facebook started I 
was like, what, what is this? And it's, and I only really joined it heavy because I was starting college and that was a way for us to connect because I went, I went to Syracuse University and it's predominantly white institution. And it was like a way for the black kids to like, yo, you going here too? I bet we got to link up. So that's when I started to kind of get into it. I never thought Facebook was going to be as big as it is now. Like, and I'm glad that he really spoke to how we are functioning as a generation and I don't know if it's a good or bad thing because I feel like we're heading in a direction where there's more, it's lack of communication. And I see that with us too. Like, not just with social media, but the way we communicate. There are people I know that I'd rather communicate via text, which I think is the the dumbest way for communication purposes because you can interpret, misinterpret what somebody says in a, way more in a text message than you can in a conversation. Yeah. If I'm talking to you, gauge my tone, you gauge my sarcasm. You know, if I'm being ratchet, like you just get it. Kiana it, being ratchet? I mean, that's so unheard of. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if we texting, you don't know, and then you're making an assumption, tying it back to our book that we're going to get into later today, <laughs> um, one of the four agreements. You're making an assumption about the person. And I've had this done. Me and my friend, one of my closest friends, we were texting. I misinterpreted what she said, she misinterpreted what I said. And we kind of had a little beef. And then when we spoke and we talked, I was like, oh, that's what you meant? Yeah, I was like, oh, I bet. You know, mm-hmm. we both, like, apologized and kept it moving. And I appreciate it for, for that kind of conversation. You can't have that with a lot of people. Some people are not mature enough, no shade, to have those conversations. They'll be like, oh, you misinterpreted what I said. Let's leave it at that. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that we have is that we focus on our communication via text yeah. and also our addiction to social media. And that social media could cause, like, further issues yeah definitely what was your take on the song um i thought it was cool just how he said i i wonder if you'll even follow me back like nowadays (laughs) like i I literally have friends who will just like they'll go off if someone unfollows them like like what like literally monitoring who's following who's unfollowing and it's just like it's like this whole status thing. Like, um, I thought that was pretty interesting. We don't even have to even really be connected to this person. I don't have to ever speak to them again, but it's got to make sure they follow me. Yeah. So I thought that was that was a very interesting point. And then, like you said, just the best glowed up version of people you see on social media. And ugh, that can be actually disappointing when you meet someone and you meet them in person and you're like, wait. Can you put that Valencia filter on real quick? Cause it's Catfish. A- <laughs> um, so, what social media app are you addicted to? I'm not really addicted to social media. You like a that. liar. No, no, seriously. Yo, when I'm around you, you always on your phone. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think. I personally, I don't really use Snapchat anymore. Yeah, I'm not really into Snapchat heavy. It's just too much to keep up with. I'm only on social media for the most part. Like, I posted a picture today for the first time in, like, two months. Coach underscore underscore Pierre. Double tap. Hit, hit, yeah, double tap, <laughs> hit that follow button. <laughs> Slide um, them DMs real quick. She said it, not me. <laughs> Summer's coming up. But feel free. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, You're not addicted to any app. There's not one app you prefer over the other. Tinder? Really? Um, so you be swiping left? <laughs> <laughs> but I heard Tinder was... It was an app that you 
use people to get laid with. Is that true? Listen, all these apps are about making connections. <laughs> yeah, you're making, making a connection, all making right. Making connections. That's an internal connection. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how you go with it. Um, I, and for the most part, I really just use social media for our podcast. Like, yeah. Most of the time when I'm on it, it's because I'm looking at stuff for what we're doing. Yeah. But if, if I had to choose one, it would definitely be Instagram. I, I feel like it's tied for me. I feel like it's between Instagram and Facebook. I go on both of them probably the same amount of time. Yeah. Um, I'm addicted to both of them. I'm not going to lie. I probably will go into Instagram or Facebook per app. Instagram more so because of our, um, because of our podcast and our page. Um, but I will, per day, I would say Instagram, Facebook at least four or five times we're going into each of those apps. Like an hour? No, four day? to five times per day. For how long? Going in. It depends. Like it really depends. It may vary. I may go on Facebook. See what's going on, and then dip for like five ten minutes. Nothing too crazy, and then and Facebook for me is more so for conversation based because I have a lot of um, dialogue with people about like certain issues or political issues or whatever. You know how I do. So I may do that five ten minutes. Instagram, I'll click through. Same thing, same amount of time. I don't be on them too heavy, but because I go into them so frequently, I wouldn't be on them for that long. Yeah, I think. Normally, if it's like once or twice a day, it's because I'm not going into them frequently. And then I will be in it for a certain amount of time because I only went on it once or twice a day. Yeah. But those are my two apps that I'm like obsessed with. And it's crazy because I remember when Instagram came out, one of my friends was like, you need to get on. I was like, no, it's stupid. You just take pictures. And I started taking pictures. I was like, oh, I love this shit. I love this shit. This shit is lit. And you got quotes. But yeah, those are the two apps that I'm really addicted to. But and I just find it to be interesting as to where we're at. And it makes me question, or do you ever think we're going to escape this social media phenomenon? Because I feel like now we're getting so much more apps. I never thought a Snapchat would have ever existed. And I thought since Rihanna was like, throw away the app, after they try to shade her and Chris Brown, people's going to throw that shit away. But it's still here. <laughs> so my thing is like, so you got Snap, then there's Instagram, there's Twitter. And I, I do like Twitter. Twitter, not as much. I used to be obsessed with Twitter, but not as much now. Um... Twitter, I love when I'm watching, like, the basketball game or if I'm watching a show because I like to engage with just random people. And y'all just tweet, and I love it. I like the community that's built around these shows. So yeah. um, so that's kind of, like, my third one. But do you ever think we're going to escape this social media phenomenon? Uh, I don't see any way how because, like, now kids are, like, getting brought up on these apps so like babies are like they get brought up on ipads yeah which like, is crazy to me and so i'd be remiss if i didn't go into the the science aspect of it shout out to coach p um so when we're on these apps and we're like searching for stuff or like mm -hmm. finding a new picture to like or something to leave a comment on what's really happening in our brain is we're getting like a little hit of a drug called dopamine and dopamine is like the the searching and finding drug and it just makes you feel good when you do it so if you're just on your phone and you get a like that's why you just like who I, I gotta see who liked me or you're on instagram and you're just scrolling through the feed and you find something else that you like it's like we are ju we just get so caught up in that that's why you can go onto social media and end up spending an hour in there and just completely losing track of time because every time you're scrolling through and you find something else that you like you just get another hit of the dopamine that's true. and that's what we're, that's what we're really addicted to and it's crazy because these these like social media juggernauts they're actually 
their job is to find out how to have us more addicted and spending more time on it. That's why if you look at it with your explore page, if you actually like one type of picture, your explore page is instantly going to transform. So you're seeing more of those types of yeah. things, whether it's cooking, exercise, whatever, just to make you mm-hmm. stay on it longer. And like even little subtle things like with YouTube, how, you, people may have not realized it, but now they do autoplay automatically. So if you don't press another song, it'll automatically just start playing another song similar to what you pick. And it's just another way of keeping you on the app yeah. longer. But back in the day when it first came out, you'd play a song and then it would end. Nothing mm-hmm. would happen. But they're just constantly trying to find ways to have us spend more time. No, it's they're, true. They're really battling for our attention. So you have companies who are making billions and millions of dollars taking that money to figure out how to take more of our attention. Mm-hmm. So I don't see any way of this changing. So we'll see what happens. My thing is if it doesn't change and it continuously progress, I'll be fine with it. But what we need to work on as a culture, as a community, as a generation is better communication. Because mm-hmm. if social media is going to be propelling the way it is, it is decreasing our social interaction with each other and our forms of communication, which leads into problems and relationship issues. Because if you're not communicating with someone as to what's going on, it's going to be harder for them to even find a solution we have to be, the way we put in so much focus into the social media and it excelling the way it is, we need to put the same amount of focus into communication. And I think that's very big. And if that can happen hand in hand, I'm fine with social media taking it and going as far as it wants. But we need to be able to, to get to that point because I feel like it's, it's always a continuous conversation, like the lack of communication, the amount of time you're actually engaging with someone, you're actually talking with them, you're not on your phone. That's something that we need to work on and try to combat in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Thank you, Bill. So another banger on the album, which I really enjoyed, was the title track, K.O.D. And the beat was sick. Yeah. (laughs) Came in just bumping. Um, So on this song, he was talking about how he was hanging out with his friends and he just happened to witness a, a shooting happening in front of the club. And talks about how he has friends who sell drugs. And so it just makes it easier for him to just... Basically, he has that plug so you can just get the work easily. And just having that easy access to it is what really helps him numbs the pain that he's going through. And that's a reality for a lot of communities. Especially black communities that are impoverished. Where they are... They witnessing needless acts of violence in their community especially gun violence and then with people in their communities selling drugs if you have a friend who's a drug dealer you just have access to it so that just that easy accessibility can can have people really just get caught up in that lifestyle of just seeking out drugs to numb the pain that they're going through especially if you don't have an outlet other than other than drugs to really talk about it or deal with what you got going on in your life. Um, and this was, it was really important and crucial that he mentioned the, the gun violence because that's actually what sparked the March for Our Lives movement, which we discussed in one of our previous episodes. And just gun violence in general in America has been plaguing us for way too long. The United States is number one in, in mass shootings around the world. And that's, it's just a sad day where 
we're number one in that category versus something like education. So it's definitely something that we need to address, and J. Cole definitely pointed that out in this album. I think it's important that he pointed out the shooting that exists within our communities, especially urban areas, because when the media talks about it, it's not... They talk about mass shooting as them entering a movie theater or a school, but they're not talking about regular shootings that take place within the neighborhoods, um, being at the wrong place at the wrong time in regards to his situation. So I think those are important factors to keep in mind. And I'm glad that he mentioned that in this album, that you know he was there with his friend and he saw someone get shot. Imagine mentally observing that and having to like recover from that yeah. without any form of medication or drugs to help you heal. Yeah. And in this song, there's a line where it says, power, greed, money, molly, weed, perks, zannies, lean, fame, and the strongest drug of them all, love. And I thought that was just really powerful when he dropped that, the strongest drug of them all of love. And I... There's this there's this thing called failure to thrive where when a newborn child isn't actually held and just given affection and love, they don't grow and have laps in their development to the point where they can even die. And that I just thought that was I wanted to really mention that because it just shows how important to humans just love and connection is. It's so important that to the point a newborn if they're not feeling that and getting that connection, they won't make it. So it really shows like love is is powerful. People do some crazy things for love. Shout outs to waiting to exhale. <laughs> really? Yeah. It, show, it shows you the power of love. <laughs> no, it did not. It shows you the power of y'all cheating and being fuckboys. Yeah. Shout out to Angela Bassett for that scene, honey. I love when you blew up the car. Very classy. Um, but I would say another way to interpret that, too, is that love can be addicting. Whether it's good or bad for you, it can be addicting like a drug in a sense that if you're in a relationship and it ends badly or abruptly, it can cause pain. And by you having that pain, you want to recover from it. Some people don't go about it in healthy ways. And normally they'll either turn to drugs or alcohol in doing so. Then it creates this vicious cycle. So I'm glad that he spoke about that because as much as we think of forms of addiction, we think love is not, you can be in love with someone, whether it's a good or bad kind of relationship. And it could be just the fact that you're addicted to the love that you have with that person and that person themselves. It could be a form of addiction. Yeah. And... Just like I said earlier, like, I wrongly said about, you know, eating food is an addiction. It's minimal. It's not minimal. So I wanted to correct that. Just like you being in love and having addiction to love, it's not a minimal addiction. It still suffice as any other form of addiction out there. Yeah. You just have to find a way to recover from that. Another song on the album that I like is Window Pain, where he basically speaks about selling out his, his self for fame or for his career. Um kind of sabotaging himself in a sense and I think that we all can relate to that you know when we're in a position or a job or a career deciding is this really where I want to be in my life is this what I want is are these the sacrifices I have to make to get to this point and then you're making these sacrifices and in the midst of all of that you like yo what am I doing am I selling my soul for a check is this even right is this gonna get me closer to heaven like we think about things on that scale and I'm glad that he was able to bring that into this song because it's very valid especially with our generation as millennials we all are trying to find a way we're all trying to figure out what our purpose and calling is you know some of us have 
a set career we want to go after and in the midst of us doing that we realize it's not what we want to do and we're trying to rediscover and find ourselves and that's why i feel like a lot of us has like a lot of side hustles because we're trying to not only cultivate different forms of getting income but we're still trying to find ourselves among these jobs that we have to decide if this is the career that we want so i'm glad that he spoke about that and to know that he reached this far in his career and think that he sold himself for fame i'm like wow to speak on it from that aspect i really respect him being blunt about it Another pivotal point that he addressed in this song is about the cycle that happens in our communities with like fatherless homes in terms of men having kids with women. They have no intentions of being around to raise their children. Um, and I get where he's coming from in that angle in terms of introducing that into this song. But when I look at when I think of things like this pertaining to our community about fatherless homes, we can't just talk about fatherless homes and not keep in mind slavery. Because that's the root of how our homes have been broken up. You know, we were torn apart. We were being sold separately. Um, and on top of that, we were not able to get married. I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's the reason and that's the only reason. And, I, and that's why our families are remaining the way they are. So we should continue to cycle. I'm trying to bring it back to what you said before about being victimized to the situation. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that we should victimize ourselves to those situations like, oh, you can leave. It's fine because, you know, in slavery, you know, they split us apart. So you don't have to be around for your child. No, we are in 2018. We are cognizant of where we're at as a community. At least I will hope we are. And we are cognizant of the cycles that continue to happen and these bad habits. So the fact that he's bringing it to the forefront in this song, I respect it. I guess my concern is being that we know what we know now for those of who do know, because not a lot of us know much about our history anyway. When is this cycle going to end? I feel like it's a continuous conversation. We have fatherless homes. Okay. We know that. When are we going to stop having fatherless homes? Like when is that cycle going to reach a point where it's like, okay, you're going to be a part of your child's life. You don't necessarily have to be with your child's mother, but you're going to be a part of your child's life. You know? So I would like to see more conversations around that. Like, okay, we know this is happening. We know this is a common commonality in our communities. When are we going to change that cycle? If we want to get on the scale of being progressive, meditate, mental health, and all of this, and black men on their growth tip, when are we going to get to a point where we're going to have two-parent households or our fathers are going to be more involved in their child's life? Damn, point. <laughs> I'm serious because I'm like, yo, we always have this conversation, but it's like, when are we going to break the cycle? Because if it's going to be a continuation and we're not going to get anywhere. <sighs> Hopefully soon. I would hope so. Yeah. In the meantime, Canada, 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 Canada. That's probably the catchiest song on the album. Facts. For me. Uh, the song ATM. And this song, he really goes into another addiction that many people really can relate to is just being addicted to getting money. Secure the bag. Yeah, definitely securing the bag. And he talks about just really his struggle and how he came from poverty and really just, like you said before, pulling himself up by his bootstraps and how teachers not believing in their students that they'll be able to make it or become successful. And now he has enough money where he can look back and just basically say like, yeah, you're talking all that smack and look at me now. Facts. <laughs> Facts. Um, but this song, he really does like portray how money is an addiction. And a lot of times we'll just work and work and work to just get more and more money to really have material things, but not really... Not really being happy, 
with these material things. And I love the video that he, he created for this song. A very dope video. It, it, it really reminiscent of Busta Rhymes. Give me some more video. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, go check that out. But in the video, you see J. Cole, it seems, opens up with some kids flying on a medicine bottle and they look like they're all high and they're just chasing some guy who's dragging along a dollar bill. And then he just, his character in the, in the music video, he's making money, he has lots of money, but he ends up losing it all. And in the end, he basically has to give a used car salesman one of his arms and one of his legs to have the new car. And I, I don't know, I'm just going to throw it out there. I felt like he did this purposely, giving up his arm and his leg for the car in the video the girl that he was with in the video got so happy. She was like, yeah, you did it. Like <laughs> She was with it. She was like, it doesn't matter what he had to do. He has the whip and she's just with it. And I just thought that was interesting. I wanted to see what Keith thought about that. So what that. you trying to say, she a gold digger? Yeah. That's what you were trying to say? That, that, I think that's what he was trying to portray with the video. And I mean, I think he definitely was trying to portray that. And he was spot on with that. I think the imagery of the video was great. Yeah. Pertaining to um, the addiction to money. And it makes me question where we're at as a um, generation. Because, you know, a lot of us will say, secure the bag. Yeah. Focus on your money. Don't mind your business. And all drink water and get money. And it's like, okay. So if we kind of keep this theme going about securing a bag and getting money we're, we're kind of we're creating this space of having an addiction to money yeah. as if money equates to happiness so Which I'm glad it and it doesn't because you could have all the money in the world and you're not happy yeah. so I think it's in it's important that he actually mentioned this, especially the video. I think the video is make you understand the song more and kind of have a different per um, perspective on the song. But it, I, I question where we're at because I've noticed this trend. It's like, yo, secure the bag, making money all year. And it's like, that's great. I think it's great that we should be financially stable and that we're doing well financially. But at the same time, it's like, is there deeper meaning behind that? And while you're securing the bag and doing all of that, making sure you're going about it in the right way in terms of investing or getting a financial advisor mm. so that you can always have that bag to secure. You don't got to keep chasing after somebody like they did in the video for yeah. money. And then he ended up losing the bag and then ended up crashing and dying, chasing the money. So Basically. That was definitely interesting. I wish I could have a bank where their model was secure the bag. I would definitely transfer all my money into that bank. That really? bank would be too lit. <laughs> Mess. Um, what I like is motivate because, especially when it transitioned after, I think it was positioned really well in the album, how it transitioned after ATM. And basically, going into motivate is like how having money is a form of motivation. That'll motivate you in terms of you doing better. And what I like was that he spoke about hiding from his demons and them catching up to him. So he had to find a way to escape. And by him escaping, he had to pop pills. And, and that made him feel alive again. That's crazy to me. Like, you know, to kind of see that actually happening, that your demons are catching up to you, you're trying to escape, you're taking pills to not only escape from them, but to just be alive. So when you're not on pills, if you're sober, you're not really alive, but you are alive because you're still breathing. So I think that's really good in terms of how we get an understanding of our addiction to money. And in terms of him being addicted to not only money and drugs, which I think is very important, and how we try to escape our demons in certain ways. And it's unhealthy. Um, 
you know, if you're going about it in that aspect, it's really not going to get you anywhere. You're just going to constantly be like on a hamster wheel. You're going to constantly be chasing that. You're going to constantly escape from your demons and trying to find drugs as an outlet to make you feel alive again. And then when you're off of the drugs, you're going to feel like you're not alive at all. But in fact, you are. You have so much meaning and stuff that you can bring into life and the people around you and a difference that you can make. So I think it's important that he spoke about these things and the common thread of drugs and money throughout the album. And another thing that I like is when he said is acknowledging women with natural hair. Yes. Mm. <laughs> How he used to like a chick with perm, but now he likes chicks with natural hair. And I really like that because, like I said, I'm a hip-hop head. So growing up, I saw certain parts of hip-hop that was considered the norm. A light-skinned woman with long, straight hair. And I know that, you know, hip-hop artists are incorporating that into their lyrics about women with natural hair or just being completely natural. I think it's it's important because it ties into representation matters. And to know that they're putting that in their lyrics and in their songs, it tells you how, in some ways, the culture is being shifted mm -hmm. in a different direction. I, I love me some natural hair. Mm -hmm. I know you do. Mm. <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you gotta chill with that. I don't. I don't need. I don't need your. It's a family show. I don't need your Instagram crush sliding <laughs> in my DMs. Shut up. Um. Yeah. So the final song of the album, 1985, which you're obsessed with. I thought it was great because I <laughs> he was like, obsessed with the song. Yeah, it was so good because I'm very big on just securing financial freedom for yourself. I'm sorry, securing the bag. And just really just being able to take care of your friends, family, and just having everything that you need in life. And in this song, he's sitting down with one of these new up-and-coming artists. And he's basically just talking about being able to manage their money, amongst other things, because it's, it's kind of a diss track as well. But one of the things that, that I really want to... Spell the tea, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Not one of the like things... a diss. <laughs> <You're fucked. laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, but one of the things I really want to highlight from the song is the fact that Cole was really telling the artist, listen, you're making money now. You have all these women. You have these chains and cars and all that's great. He loves to see a black man making money. But that's not going to be the way it's going to be forever. And you have to really be conscious of where you're spending your money, investing in things that's going to actually grow value over time and not only just being caught up in just spending and splurging right now on material things because one day you're going to turn around and all that money won't be there. Sure. And then... When you're broke and the money's not coming in and you're used to a certain lifestyle, things are going to get real funny no, when, when that happens. And it's it's so crazy because this happens so often, whether it's with athletes like NBA, NFL players, or people who win the lottery. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people have money and they think because they have money that, that they're going to be good. But you have to, similar to what you were saying before, Key, about... It's really who you are. So if you don't have a millionaire's mindset, just because you actually have the physical money, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to maintain it because it takes a certain type of person to be able to manage that and have that. So you have to transform as who you're being. So he definitely was dropping gems while subtly dissing people on the track. And I loved it because I think building generational wealth is one of the things that will really make a difference for the black and people of color communities actually 
having wealth and a foundation so that your kids and the next generation have a better footing to stand on. So No, it's true. Very valid. And I think that's one thing I enjoyed about this entire album is the way that he was able to touch upon very valid points in the album and how it affects our community and us directly. And that's why I love him for who he is. And I really do like his tracks on this. So if you haven't listened to it already, I mean, this whole thing is going to be a spoiler alert. But <laughs> make sure you go check out the album and let us know your thoughts. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Hit us up on social media and let us know what you think. So mm-hmm. with that being said, we're going to be moving into the Coach P Dropping Gems segment. And this episode is going to be a little bit different as we're going to be discussing the book from our book club the actual first book Mm -hmm. which was the four agreements by don miguel ruiz (laughs) (laughs) tongue game is strong you already know slide them dms ladies slide them dms (laughs) coach underscore underscore (laughs) you ain't shit (laughs) (laughs) all right all right all right the family show yeah (laughs) um so I really enjoyed this book because it really aligns with what I'm all about. And that's really just working to become the best version of yourself. So how did you feel about the book, Key? Um, it was good. I mean, I think it was a great book. It's very concise and short, which I like. It was mm-hmm. very simple. Um, I enjoyed it for what it was. I would say the three takeaways for me was the agreements. I truly enjoyed. Um, don't take anything personal. That was agreement number two. Mm-hmm. Like, learning not to take things personally. Even if you don't... If someone may not know you, which I, it's hard for me because I do take things personally. So, kind of learning to detach yourself from situations um, and not making it bigger than what it is. Um, don't make assumptions. That's something that I'm really big on. I end up making assumptions about things. I try to step back and reflect on it and be like, okay, I ask questions. That's why I like to have conversations about certain things and opposed to make an assumption and I would say always do your best. Always trying to aim to be a better version of yourself will be a three takeaways. I don't have three set throwaways for this book. Um, I think one of it would be that I don't... I felt like it was very... It's a very simple, simplistic book. I think a lot of things that was said I already know. So it was... For me, it was kind of redundant mm-hmm. in some of the things that were being said. So that was one of my throwaways is the redundancy of the book. I felt like some of the agreements or chapters overlapped. Um, it could have been a bit more concise than what it already is. I'm not sure how possible that would have been. Um, but that was one of my throwaways is that I felt like some of the information was redundant. But I don't... That's one of it. And in rating it from one to... One being the lowest, five being the highest, I would give it a four. I'll give it a solid four. It's a good book. It's a great read. So definitely check it out. And maybe it could make a difference in your life. But it wasn't one of those books. There are books that I read and I walk away. I'm like, yo, that changed me. I didn't get that from this. No shade to the author at all. But it's just I didn't get that from this book. Um, But definitely check it out. And I definitely think it's worth reading. And you could pick it apart and it applies to your life. And it's very relatable, simplistic information. But yeah. So Coach P, what's your three takeaways? All right, so since this is our first time doing this and it's our first book, I'm just going to go a little bit off-road off here, and I'm going to give you four takeaways. And my four takeaways were the four agreements. Um, one, be impeccable with your word. Two, don't take anything personally. Number three, don't make any assumptions. And number four, do your best. Mm-hmm. And 
I really don't have any throwaways from the book. I genuinely loved it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to give this book a five. And for me personally, I think I I understand completely what you said about um, some of this stuff being redundant and really knowing it already. I think the beauty about it is that it is so simple, but it's one thing to know something and another thing to actually practice this ongoingly. Mm -hmm. And I think the way the book really outlined it, if you really practice these four things every single day, your life will look completely different. And I think that's the real beauty of it. It's so simple, but it's so powerful at Mm -hmm. the same time. So the book really highlights the facts that we all have a set of beliefs that create a context for the life that we live. And it asserts that these beliefs that we live our life weren't chosen by us, but rather placed on us from birth. And these beliefs that we have aren't the best beliefs to actually have a happy, vibrant life. So he offers up four new agreements that you can insert into your life that really will empower you to just live your best lives and actually be happy, which is what most people are searching for. So I'm just going to go through those agreements. Agreement one, be impeccable with your word. This first agreement really points out the fact that our words are powerful. Words can start a war, make someone fall in love, hurt, and even heal others. The way one becomes impeccable with their word is by doing the things they say they'll do that aligns with their true values. And that's, so like Trump tweeting us into war? <laughs> it, it's crazy. And in the book, he referenced like Hitler started World War yeah. II and did all of that he was. with just his words. Like mm-hmm. he didn't force anyone to do anything. And that shows you how powerful words are. And he says that impeccable means without sin. And a sin is something you do or believe that goes against yourself. So for example, if you say if you say yes to doing drugs only to fit in with your friends, that's not impeccable with your word because it's against your true self and your true values. You don't want to smoke drugs, but you're just doing it and saying yes to it to fit in. So that's not being impeccable with your word. And it really means not speaking out against yourself, to yourself or to others, and just really taking responsibility and not participating in the blame game or not gossiping. And this is that those in itself are just powerful. Like, because gossip, that's like, I feel like in our normal conversations, gossip is just. It's negative. And I think it's just natural. Like, it is natural and it's negative. Yeah. So if you. And depending on how good it is, it's really good. But no, <laughs> like, let's, let's be real, you know, politically correct. But no, it's not good. You're not, you should not be gossiping. Kind of creates a whole cycle of negativity and. You know, speaking bad about someone in a light, especially if it's rumors, that's not true. Exactly. So, yeah. and, and that's what he points out to how whatever you put out there is what's going to come back to you. Mm-hmm. So you need to stay away from anything negative in terms of just putting out the anger, gossip, hate towards other people. If all you put out when you're speaking is love and gratitude, that's going to be what you create for your environment to come back to you. I think that's pretty dope. That's really like, powerful. Being someone who doesn't talk shit about people yeah, and put no, negative true. stuff out there because you're gonna your, your mind's gonna have thoughts but yeah. you get to choose what words you speak and put out into mm-hmm. the universe so i thought that was pretty dope um agreement number two don't take anything personally my favorite agreement yeah that one that one was powerful and that's one i really need to work on so yeah you do <laughs> everything i say you take personally i'm like okay i'm working on it i did good today 
That's debatable. You tried. You tried. <laughs> you tried it before we we started recording. <laughs> you know it's all love, though. <laughs> I definitely had to get Zen real quick before we started this episode. I was ready to choke Key out. And Zen meaning meditate. And I take that back. <laughs> I, I meditate. I wouldn't, you wouldn't do that else. I would never put my hands on Key. Just to be clear. <laughs> Don't try me. I'm from the Bronx. Facts. Turn that ass out real quick. He got like a two-two in her purse right now. <laughs> and Cardi be in the backseat. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so as mentioned early on in the book, everyone has a set of beliefs that they live their life through, and it's based on the experiences that they've had in life, and then the just the beliefs that their family and the world puts on them. So when that's understood, you realize that. You can't take anything that someone says to you personally because it's all based on their own beliefs. It has nothing to do with your belief system. So, for example, if someone says you're an excellent worker, that's based on them and their their definition of what an excellent worker looks like. For you, you should have an idea of if you put your best work forward that you are a great worker. And it shouldn't really matter whether they think you are or think you're not. And I think that was pretty interesting where when you're not taking things personally, whether it's a bad thing or, in this case, a good thing. And just on the other end of the spectrum, if someone says you're fat, again, it's based on their set of beliefs. They could have been, they could have been brought up in an environment where if you're not pencil thin, then you're overweight. So based on their beliefs, they're making a judgment on you. But you can have completely different beliefs about what beauty looks like. So again, what other people say, it's all based on their own personal belief system. And that should have nothing to do with you. Your opinion and your thoughts are the only thing that should really matter to you. But also when he made this point, what I liked about this agreement was um, I thought about it on a scale of, you know, when you're going through the day, if you're at work or you're around certain people and they may have an attitude towards you and may say something in the direct response to you and it may just be rude or insulting, not to take it personally because you don't know what they're going through at home. They're probably actually going through certain things and they just put on a mask on and they're trying to just get through the day. So being conscious of that and being very mindful of it. And I really think about that in the morning time when I'm on a train. <clears throat> I'm like, don't take it personal. <laughs> you know, just don't take certain things. You know how MTA is. Yeah. It will change your mood in like 2.5 seconds. But like, I brought that on in terms of my mentality. Like, don't take what's happening on a train personally. Um, If it's going to be a delay, if it's going to be that, don't make it an issue. And especially if you have an interaction with someone on the train, it may not be directed towards you. It's a bigger deal. It's something else. So I was thinking of that agreement when it comes to the way I interact with people and how they may respond to certain things I say and I'm like yo it may not it's bigger than me it has nothing to do with me or if somebody really goes out their way to hurt you it's like it really don't have nothing to do with me this is bigger than me and I have no control over it yeah. so I thought about that agreement in like certain situations that I've had to deal with so yeah yeah it's definitely relatable um, there's this saying by Gandhi where he basically asked someone, if someone gives you a gift and you don't accept it, who does that gift belong to? Oh, that's a good question. So let's say I give you a present and you don't accept it. So who owns that gift? You, because I'm not accepting it. Who else will take it? Exactly. So the same way someone tries to send anger, hate, and 
just envy towards you. And I don't receive it or be exactly. receptive to it's it. It's only staying with that person. Okay. So that's kind of about... Shout out to Gandhi. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was pretty powerful. Like No, that is very powerful. You don't have to actually take what people are sending towards you. This is true. Um, and you segue perfectly into agreement number three. Don't make any assumptions. A lot of times we're, we are so self-centered that we, mm-hmm. we think people know what we want or we think everyone thinks the same way we do when that's really not the case at all everyone has their own beliefs and own experiences that really filter the how they go about life so a perfect example of this let's say you're a married couple and the woman is her her birthday is coming up and she thinks her husband should know exactly what he what she wants but he ends up getting something that she's not happy with. But she made the assumption that we're married, we're in love, he should know exactly what I want. But if we go through life not making assumptions and really just communicating, asking questions, yeah. and just sharing our thoughts with people, you get rid of that ambiguity. And then there you'll never have to worry about someone not being on the same page with you or not... Or not getting what you want because you assume something was going to be given to you. No, that's true. But I mean, that's all good in the hood if you married. Mm -hmm. No, let me take that back. That notion to me is all good in the hood if you're not married. You should because it's like you're dating and you're still figuring each other. But if you're married, I would hope you know what the hell you're doing. Like, I would hope. You have an idea of what I want. I get what he was saying in the book because he did bring in relationship as being an example. However, I think it's twofold. If you're dating and we're not married and maybe we just started dating, I wouldn't expect for you to do the whole shebang and do anything precisely. You know, but if we're married and I'm putting years, hours, time and all of that and you fucking up, like <laughs> that's a bit of a concern. No. But I understand we need to have communication. Right. Mm-hmm. And now imagine if you went through a relationship where like I'm not going to make any assumptions. Like, I'm constantly changing and evolving, and I'm just going to just say what I want from you. And that goes in everything, even in the bedroom. Like, you don't have to assume that your partner knows how to please you. Mm -hmm. Just really communicating and tell them exactly what you want. Imagine how much time and energy you would save instead of arguing, you should know, when you can just tell someone. Yeah, if dating, as I said, that's fine. That's something that you should have those conversations with. But I'm very open and forthcoming with those conversations as to telling someone what I like and what I don't like. So I'm not... Her fellow sliding <laughs> in the <DM>. <laughs> Yo, I already got enough in there, chill. But I understand that. Like, it does make sense in that aspect. And I'm a person, I'm very verbal when it comes to those things. But you can be that in a relationship... I've had an encounter like that where I'm very verbal as to what I want and what I expect in forms of communication. A person you with is not meeting you on that same scale. So I do think you should continue that. You should continue to be vocal. And I'm very big on that. I'd rather tell you what I like from what I dislike so you know up front what to expect. There's no confusion. But you have to be with someone who's receptive to that as well. Yeah. And and I think just last point on that, it just goes back to what we said in the beginning. Uh, these things are so simple but if you really just apply it continuously every day, it really just transforms what life yeah. looks like for you because you don't. You, there's no ambiguity anymore. You, you're just dealing with things from the jump. Um, so the last final agreement, agreement four, is always do your best. And this one's really powerful because 
even with all the the first three agreements, no one's perfect. And your best is constantly changing, whether you're sick, whether you're healthy, whether you're happy, you're sad. What you can, your best foot that you're putting forward is, is a moving target. So if you're putting your best foot forward in anything that you're doing, you won't have any regret or guilt about your performance because you know I left it all out there. Mm-hmm. There's no like, I could have did this or I could have done that. So you don't have to worry about just having that negative thoughts about your performance and anything that you're doing. And he made it, he brought it to the point where when you're doing your best, it really means you're in the present moment and you're not worried about the past or the future. Because if you're just doing your best, let's say you're trying to meet women and you've been rejected 10 times in the past. If you're really just putting your best foot forward and not worrying about what happened in the past, it just allows you to be present in the moment and actually take actions consistent with what you're trying to create. Or if you're worried about, I'm 35 and I should have been in a relationship at this point and I'm getting nervous now that it's not, I'm never going to find love. And you're operating from that perspective. You think I have one tender. Right. (laughs) Swipe left. Like like Coach P. (laughs) Yeah. It's hot ass. It's swipe right. (laughs) Swipe swipe right. right. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. You're skilled at this app. I'm sorry. I'm not addicted to it as much as you. Get back to your thing. (laughs) Yeah. So regardless of the future or the past, if you're really just in the present and just acting and putting your best foot forward, that's how you're going to just get the most out of life. And... Yeah, and that that really applies to all the other agreements. Just put your best foot forward, whether it's not taking something personally, making an assumption, or really being impeccable with your word. It's just a continuous, ongoing process, and we already have all these habits ingrained in us, so these things aren't going to happen overnight, but if you're putting your best foot forward and going one step at a time, that's all that you can ask for, and I genuinely believe it will just help transform your life so no it's definitely true and i would say like on one more note towards the end of the book he mentioned being present which you talked about it's key to be present in the moment not focusing on the past or the future as to where your life could have been or should have been but focusing on where it's at now and that's one of the biggest conflicts i have is being present in the moment because my mind is like 20 miles ahead I'm thinking about things that is not pertaining to what I'm doing at the current moment and it's something that i'm trying to learn how to do so being present and i think that's key in terms of in general in life whether you're trying to be successful or not trying to be within a moment because you don't want to miss out on, on special moments because you were focused on other things that are not as important as to what you're doing currently yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> very well said thank you so what's going to be the next book for our book club and oh before we say that definitely i suggest checking out this book if you haven't read it um it's definitely going to be one i'm going to add to my collection <laughs> So our next book on the list is This Is How You Lose Her by Juno Diaz. That sounds like a Tyler Perry movie. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably working on it right now. Um, So we did speak about Juno Diaz before, about him writing a powerful piece for The New Yorker, speaking about him experiencing sexual assault at a young age. And keeping in mind that aside from that, he is a New York Times bestselling author, and this is one of the books that is in high ranking so we will be reading that book and be providing our review in episode 37 so please stay tuned and we'll be posting it on our social media and hopefully you guys can follow us through on the book and 
chime in on the reviews and tell us your take on it. Yes, definitely. would love to hear your feedback. And once again, guys, thank you very much for tuning in and just being on this journey with us. We really appreciate it. You could definitely get that ringtone that's playing in the background, silky smooth in your ear at the iTunes store for Apple devices and on the Tune store for Android devices and we'll put that in the show notes for you guys. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at unapologeticd underscore and you can find our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook and Stitcher by searching unapologetically different. Stay tuned for our next episode. Bye.